Hey, what's going on? Thank you for tuning into episode 104 of the While We Were Working show. And what does 104 mean? That means it's been two full years of episodes powered by the Jumpstart team. Of course, side by side with my awesome co-host, Summer Ketron, who's here again today. And also a thank you to all of the guests, uh, guest hosts, members of our team who have contributed to the success and longevity of our show. We're super thrilled and thank you community continuing to listen, support, and share the work that we're doing here at while we're working. Wait, uh, before I jump in though, Summer, do you have any like awesome thoughts or memories or favorite episodes, favorite to- topics that we've talked about on the show so far? Oh, that's really hard to just pick one, Joey, or a <laughs> few, because I feel like I get so excited every week about uh, the articles and the questions that we get. But, you know, I think if I was to maybe think of one that really stands out to me, um, it was when we had Hannah on the show and she was talking about the work that she was doing kind of out in streets, uh, talking about pay transparency. So we're gonna go all across the country, every single capital city, but then also surrounding areas, showing that discrepancy of pay across the country. I really want to run into some teachers in Idaho, for example. <laughs> and I think for me, that's one uh, that I'll never forget uh, because I love the work that she was doing and continues to do. And it's it's just, a, a, I think, a really cool opportunity to have somebody like her on the show. Yeah, yeah, you're talking about Hannah from Salary Transparent Street, and it yeah. was great to see her on the show. Uh, reached out to her, and, and at that moment in her career, she was she was famous. But it's even nice to look and see her continuing path, and some of the brands she's been able to work with, some of the conversations she's been able to have, and she even recently made Forbes 30 Under 30 list. So. Kudos to her and her team for making that happen. And uh, she's a friend of the pod, as 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 podcasters will say. So uh, that definitely was an exciting moment for me, too. Uh, and then I think anytime we have an opportunity to bring on special guests uh, from some of our, our partners, like um, Gusto on, uh, Fema.io, uh, Engagely, uh, those were some moments that, that come to mind. I think with uh, Engagement, we were talking about uh, quiet quitting and is it a new phenomenon? And so that was a pretty exciting, exciting uh, episode. Number. So I think we should jump into our segment called While We're Working. And Summer, do you want to set it up and share the article that we're talking about today from HR Morning? Of course, I'd love to. And and thanks, Joey. This is an exciting moment for our show to be at our two-year mark. And thanks, everybody, who's joining us today. The While We Were Working segment of our show is where Joey and I take a look at uh, you know what's happening in uh, the people leader space. Uh, we scour websites, look at blogs, uh, read online newspapers, and really just try to find something that's unique and interesting to talk about on the show. And today's article actually came to us from our friends over at HR Morning. And the article is titled Catfishing Candidates. Employers are still misleading applicants. I must admit, Joey, 
that title pulled me right on in <laughs> and uh, I had to know more. So uh, thrilled to be chatting about this article on today's show. Yeah, no, this is very much a, a thing. I think one of the stats that stood out to me from this was uh, 45% of candidates rejected job offers after realizing they were misled. And one of the things we talk about here on the on the show and with our clients and when, when we're on platforms is just about how there's so much regrettable turnover that happens in the first, you know, 30 to 60 days because candidates feel like what was pitched to me is not reality. And so I am not surprised at this number at all. That represents, you know, half of candidates. Um, because and there's probably deeper reasons for why companies feel like they have to lie or why they are inadvertently lying. But 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 no, I am I am not surprised at this at this stat. It is an issue that we to work on and the whole idea of catfishing candidates just seems to be odd because I would imagine your employer brand is at stake, your reputation is at stake. You want to present the reality of what it's like to work there. So I don't know. Uh, what are your thoughts on the on the article? What's it out to you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the the stat that you led us with, Joey, it, it's definitely staggering. And so if you're following the show and you're like, hold on, wait a minute. What is catfishing? Uh, it's, you know, in short, it's it's a term that's uh, come up in the recent years. It's essentially pretending to be somebody else online. In fact, the article references that there's even a whole TV show uh, that focuses on catfishing. And so, you know, when I think about the yeah, idea... Right. As I'm I'm familiar with it, like from the show and just from the concept. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, please tell me employers aren't doing this. Finding out that they are is really concerning. And, you know, yes, the greenhouse survey was from the 2022 um, candidate interviews. And I think it was a little bit of a different time. Right. We'll take a quick glimpse back. That's when uh, for part of the year, it was still a very competitive space in terms of competing for talent. And I can't help but guess that companies may have been so desperate to secure talent that they stretched the truth more than a little bit about their employee culture. And unfortunately, or fortunately, those candidates found out. Yeah, and good on them for for good on them as a candidate for making that call to not reward bad boss behavior uh, by not believing the lie, right? So uh, you mentioned the stats from 2022, but then there were additional stats from the article about um, what does it say? For about 22 percent uh, reported working in roles that didn't match the description given during hiring. Uh, 42% accepted jobs with more responsibilities than initially stated. You know, we see that sometimes where we might say, oh, someone's coming in as, as an assistant, but really they're a manager, or they're coming in as a manager, but they really are a director. Uh, and then 36% of candidates ghost an employer after realizing the deceit. So there's a lot of movie pieces here, and this is within the backdrop 
of recruiters, um, whether they be at employers or uh, looking as outside partners, we saw, unfortunately, a lot of layoffs. So it, it's like the situation was able to get worse because the people who would help do something about it, they work around the scene as much as maybe in years prior. So uh, it's just a big, big cluster uh, happening. And we've got to be aware of it. We've got to know the impact that it has on our on our businesses uh, if we do betray the trust of candidates and, and figure out what to do more. Yes. And when I was reflecting on this and thinking about the work that we do at Jumpstart and how we can help organizations not fall into, um, you know, kind of this or a similar situation. One of the key components is truly having updated and accurate job descriptions. And I think that's something that's often overlooked because perhaps they were created at one point in time. Yes, they may have changed a little, but, you know, the idea is, hey, let's just keep them vague and, you know, we'll put all of those you know, those duties that may change in that, you know, nice bullet our, H- our, our HR community loves, which is <laughs> all other duties as assigned. And while that's right. okay, uh, it's not intended, right, to truly be that catch-all of things that are important, relevant, and major functions of the job. So uh, if you're listening to our pod and you're maybe thinking, gosh, we don't have job descriptions, or we have them, they really need updating, but nobody has the time, uh, give us a ring. We love to work on job descriptions and help organizations with their recruiting and or recruiting strategy as a whole. Yeah, yeah, and, and I love that you mentioned it from the recruiting strategy perspective since that's on top of the conversation. But we're also in that season of performance management, right, where it's important to ensure that people are doing the jobs that uh, they've been hired on to do, and also that they know what the wounds are for their position. So there's definitely a dual nature, a dual reason for the job descriptions updated. Um, all right, so I think I think that we are good on... The, oh, no, there's another piece I wanted to mention. You mentioned job description, and I know that... Artificial intelligence is a big, big, big thing. Um, I have my TEDx talk on uh, using AI work just just went live, and we'll drop a link to that in the show notes. But um, but but one thing that people can do as a misstep and that can contribute to the mislocation is pulling a job description from AI, but not uh, tweaking it so that it is accurately representing the work and work environment of your organization. Because if you ask a AI tool, say, hey, I need a job description for finance manager. I need a job description for uh, AWS engineer. It's going to give you something. But if all of those bullet points aren't accurate and true and reflective of your culture, reflective of your organization, then that's just going to put a deeper divide between you and the candidate's expectations because the job description may be a complete one, but it's not a real one. And so all the more reason to make sure that you are reviewing your job descriptions so that they are accurate 
and not falling into the, uh, not falling into the trap of, of uh, thinking that AI can solve your, your problem all by itself. Yes, that's so true, Joey. And if I can add uh, just one thing to that that you got me thinking about is also using AI for not just job descriptions, but for job postings, right? Because sometimes companies just drop their job description into uh, a job advertisement. And the first thing that I think about is if you're using, for the most part, something that's right out of AI, and others are too. Now, how are you going to stand apart, right? So really thinking about how do you write your job postings so that they are unique, enticing, and reflect why you'd be the employer of choice. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing, you know, everybody's using the tools. So the competitive edge really has to be in the culture values and making sure that those bullet points yeah, are accurate they're real you know if you've got to lift boxes the job ad might say you lift 50 pounds but if you're really only lifting 20 pounds say that if you are managing a team of people the job description says you're managing 14 people but you're really managing five it's to say that if you're uh you know hybrid environment or a remote environment but the job description is for someone who's in office five days a week you know you should say that so all of these things are um ways that ai could get you going but you have to go back and complete complete the work so to speak that's right so i think so. the overarching message here i kind of putting a bow on this one joey going back to our article is if your employer um who's uh, currently recruiting or recruiting in the future, ensuring that you are describing your company and the position accurately is indeed super important. And, you know, if you're a company that maybe doesn't have the greatest culture today, it's okay to communicate that to your candidates and leave it up to them to decide if that's something that they're willing to be part of rebuilding. Because... Yep. The last thing you want to do is have somebody join and there's a giant disconnect between what's been described and uh, the environment that they found themselves in. So um, that's uh, that's my summary, Joey, of this article. And uh, hopefully we don't see uh, any of this in the future. Yeah, yeah, definitely not uh, here at Jumpstart and, and not with our clients. So let's end the catfishing and and just leave it leave it to the pros at MTV who will uh, <laughs> have the show. I, I'm I watched that show. Gosh, I mean, it's years old now, but um, it's it's crazy catfishing and just this crazy concept. I don't, I won't go out the rabbit trail, but but great great article from HR Dive. Um, let's see who was the author on that one. I want to give a shout out to Allison Roller. Allison Roller is the uh, is author of that one. Okay, let's switch gears and talk about our consultants quarter. And this is a issue that happens quite a bit, whether a person in person or not. Um, but we got a question from one of our clients. It says, We've had an issue with remote employees not returning their laptops. 
when they terminate. What are our options to get it back? So, Summer, can they can they call the SWAT team to do a, a sting operation and, and get this laptop back from somebody's possession? What are what are some of the things that that uh, they should think about doing? Oh my, Joey. Well, I suppose they could, but I definitely wouldn't recommend it. I mean. <laughs> And this has been a really sensitive topic and I've seen this come up more. And, you know, again, I, you know, I try to always take a moment, reflect and try to think of possibilities of like, wow, like why is something happening now more than it did Mm -hmm. say just five years ago or prior? And I do think it, it just one simply has to do with, there are more team members working remotely than there has been in the past. Right. So just the likelihood, uh, is, it's more likely to happen. But I also think that part of it has to do with uh, the depth of relationships that we're building, right? So when you interact with individuals more in person, you do build a different connection than you do if, say, you've never met them in person or you rarely meet them in person. And team members who may be inclined to, uh, let's just say, keep their equipment intentionally may feel... Uh, less of a connection with their employer and or their manager and their company to the point to where they're kind of like, you know what? I don't really care. I'm going to keep it. So I think there's a lot of factors Uh here, Joey. And when it comes to team members not returning equipment, I think the first thing companies need to think about is, um, one, uh, what is the value of the equipment? Not only the physical value, but Um, the value of the contents that may be stored if it's physically on a device. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is, you know, kind of looking at what state that team member is in and reviewing the specific laws of that state and what their available options are. Mm -hmm. Joey, have you, uh, have you ever had companies say, oh, well, we're just going to deduct it out of their their final check, or we're going to hold their final check until they return it. I've heard some companies attempting to do that. I don't know that that's the best thing to do. Um, yeah, I've heard I've heard them attempt to do that as as almost like a corporate blackmail kind of thing. Like we're going to keep your check if you don't give us our like. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's um, that's sometimes I think the first thing that companies think of. And, you know, if I'm having a conversation with them, of course, I'm like, okay, hold on, pause, you know, let's first look at what our other available options are. And, you know, if they're really adamant that they want to go down that path, I think, you know, we have to explore um, everything from a compliance standpoint to determine if that's even an option. Uh, but even if it is, it's typically not a good one. Now, yeah. I'm curious, Joey, have you ever worked with a client who has had this type of issue? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we had a client a couple of years ago where um, I was based in the U.S. Uh, the owner of this business lit a lot of their time between the various multinational branches of the organization. And so sometimes there would be the need to terminate an employee, collect materials, deliver it to the client site. And 
you know, it's easier for me to hop on a U.S. flight than for the owner to hop on an international flight. And so there are times where I remember, you know, going to, to people's houses and telling the, the Uber driver, I'd be like, hey, look, I'm here to, to do something that's not so great. I have to collect company property. Can you just, you know, be a witness and if something crazy happens, call 911. Thankfully, we never had to call 911. But yes, I've been in a position where I've had to collect the material, return it back to the client, and uh, hop on a flight and head back home. Um, thankfully, folks have been pretty agreeable about the return of property. Um, but of course, they're not always agreeable with the separation of, of employer. Um, so sometimes you have to manage that tension. But I think there are some um, cost-effective uh, cost solutions for getting company property back. And today with, with technology, you can send you know, self-addressed boxes or return labels. You can actually now in many locations hire uh, or call an Uber for career service to show up to a place and uh, take it to a, a FedEx or a UPS or a postal service. Um, so there are uh, options out there for making that process a little less um, intrusive. But but yeah, I've, I've had my share of, uh, you got to mail this, this laptop back, you got to mail this phone back, this access card, main badge, all those sorts of things. I, I, like, like Pokemon, I've had to collect them all. That's, good. that's a that's a really interesting story, Joey. I I actually haven't had to do a you know collection like you have, but I have worked with clients and and recently they've kind of taken a slightly different approach to this than maybe what I would have seen in the past, which is like a more firm approach in collecting the equipment. So uh, some companies uh, that I've worked with have changed their policies to where now they provide a stipend to provide a device. It's that mm -hmm. team member's device when they leave. It's just really important, of course, that when they're performing the work that everything's stored on the cloud and that, um, you know, that to a certain degree removes that, you know, concern or challenge with collecting equipment. I also have mm -hmm. other clients who have a set period of time, I think it's about three years, to where once a team member has worked on a device for three years, it's theirs to keep. So yeah. when team members leave, you know, they kind of make that call. It's like, okay, well, what's the cost to get this equipment returned versus the kind of usable life of it? And if they decide like, well, mm -hmm. it's really not going to be redeployed, then like why even spend the money to have a return to just keep it? Um, yeah. So I, I think in that regard, you know, some companies are taking different approaches, but in organizations where they really want to push forward with a team member who has not returned their equipment, generally the process is, you know, to first uh, send a reminder, right? Then a slightly firmer request, then perhaps a certified letter that says, if you do not return it, then we will be taking you to small claims court, right? But okay. then is the company then going to actually spend the time and money to complete that filing, let alone 
even if you're awarded in your favor in small claims court, there's no guarantee that you're ever going to get that money. So more often than not, when companies understand like the time versus there's no guarantee of, you know, of a reward, they typically just say, you know what, let's just write it off and call it, you know, call it done. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, you know, I always like to think about um, situations like this, like how do we get there? How did we get here? And what things can we do next time to prevent things? And I think there's a few helpful solutions that that companies can think about on the front end. Um, You mentioned a great one is just to provide that uh, that stipend. Um, Do you think about the shelf life um, tech? You know, considering it uh, employees' property after a certain time, but also making sure that you have policies around device utilization, uh, making sure it's clear that employees know what is required upon uh, separation with the organization. Uh, I also think it would be a good idea to uh, work with uh, uh, whether it's a managed IT partner. Uh, we we've got a partner that we we work with called Electric. Who's um, a, a good, a good source for managed IT um, or internal IT to set up, you know, a way for there to be uh, remote device wiping and uh, remote access, so that you're able to at least secure the data and confidentiality of the data that's on a device, uh, and yeah, to to track it as well. Um, making sure that you know where the device is and making sure it's just not like sold to someone else, you know, like um, whether it's put on Facebook marketplace or uh, a cash deal somewhere else, just because, because that could be another thing to consider as well. So these are things to think about on the front end before you ever have to run into the challenges of tracking down device. Yes. There's definitely a lot of considerations and, if there's anything I've learned, it's it is important to have those policies, and it's also important to evaluate each situation on a case by case basis. You know, we talked a little bit earlier yeah. on about you know, there may be some states where you can have an authorization signed in advance that if the equipment is not returned, that the employee agrees to have the residual cost deducted from their final pay. Uh, but that yeah. is, you know, something that you really want to evaluate carefully uh, because it may sound quite simple on the surface, but there's actually a lot of little nuances and considerations. And, you know, really just to think about what is going to work best for your team, for your business and weighing the cost versus benefit of, yeah. um, you know, of such situation. There's really no simple answer. Yeah, yeah, no simple answer, and that's why, you know, don't go at it alone. You know, we're a team here, Jumpstart, that provides support for businesses navigating these challenges. Uh, you know, especially in this this season where we are now of layoffs, reduction in force, and companies having to think through these challenges at a greater scale and speed than uh, typical. So, you know. Check out our website, jumpstart-hr.com. Uh, you can reach out with a free 15-minute consultation. 
happy to chat with you to see how we can be of service and help you sleep a little bit better at night, knowing that you've got a plan in place and our team is actually working to support you. So yeah, don't go at it alone. It's a lot to think about. There are a lot of uh, alternative things that can happen. So we want to help you be protected and have peace of mind about your HR strategy here. So uh, don't hesitate to reach out. And I think that about wraps up our episode, uh, episode 104, uh, our two-year anniversary episode, talking about stuff we love, fat fishing, and and uh, getting company laptops back. Uh, but we've got a growing, growing catalog of uh, HR topics for you as an HR professional or USF, not HR pro, who handles HR. Awesome. Check out our, our podcast, check out our YouTube channel, uh, the Jumpstart HR YouTube channel. And uh, we'll, until next time, we'll, we'll see you next week. Thanks, Joey. Thanks, everyone. All right.